Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church. Um, I'll be taking our Bible reading for today. At the end of the Bible day, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Jonah 4 verse 4 to 11. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he, he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that it grew faint. He, went, he wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have consent for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are many more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. So we are at the end of Jonah. And I don't know what your reaction is. Do you want to celebrate? Do you want to do you know, a few who's? Yes, there are some people that have been looking forward to the end. Because Christmas is coming, okay? Um, but yes, um, maybe I should just start by saying how thankful I am to even be here in the first place. So I woke up this morning and I snoozed my alarm. Yeah, ah, like it goes downhill from there. Um, so like I snoozed my alarm and then my mind just started playing tricks on me. It was as though, it was as though time had passed and I felt like I'm not going to be here in time. Like, what's going to happen? Who's going to preach? What are we going to do? Pastor Femi is here, but um, of course, he, did, he wouldn't know that. And I was thinking, maybe what will happen is the music team will just keep singing, you know? Like we used to do in many of our old churches where, ha, this thing was 20 minutes. Now it's one hour. Like, the spirit is really moving today, but it's actually that the speaker was stuck in traffic. So I'm thankful that I'm here this morning. Um, and so, like, we've been going through Jonah, we've seen, we've been talking about God's outrageous grace, God's outrageous grace for unlikely people like you, like me, people who don't deserve it, people who are not worthy of it. And one thing that, as we come to the end, that, has, that I've been reminded of is how the grace of God is meant to motivate us to engage compassionately with our world, with people around us, with things around us that we don't like, with things that bring discomfort like in the city of Lagos. So a few um, months ago, during the um, lockdown, there was a video that surfaced and went around. It was a video of a mother 
and her son. And the mother was going to discipline the son. And what did the son say? Mommy, no, 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 not calm down. Mommy, be calming down. Be calming down. Be in that posture continually where you are calming down. Why? Because Lagos wants to bring out your, the bad things inside you. It wants to lift your BP. Be calming down. And what the son effectively was saying to the mother is that engage with me compassionately. Don't treat me the way I deserve. Don't treat me the way you feel that I'm meant to be treated. Don't treat me based on the number of times I have disobeyed your instructions. Treat me with compassion. And what we see actually in our text this morning is that the grace of God is meant to motivate us to compassionately engage our world, compassionately engage our city, compassionately engage those who are not like us. And so this morning I've titled the sermon, compassionately engaging our world. And we'll see that in three headings. Um, the first one is waiting for destruction. The second one is concerned about destruction. And the last one is preventing destruction. Waiting for destruction, concerned about destruction, preventing destruction. And so the first one, waiting for destruction. So where are we in the story? We're in chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 11. And what has happened, if you've not been with us or you've kind of forgotten what has happened, is that God, basically, the whole book is about God sending Jonah on a mission. But Jonah actually feels that, man, this mission is mission impossible, like the movie with Tom Cruise and, you know, all the other casts. Except that this time, Jonah doesn't feel like he wants to even do it at all. Jonah feels like, no, I don't want to even engage with this thing. And so God sends Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, but Jonah actually goes the other direction. He goes several hundred miles away from where God sends him. And so at some point he's experiencing, you know, they, they have a storm on the ship that he boards, and he decides, no, I don't want to do this thing. I'm going to end my life. But God sends a fish to rescue him. And then eventually he's, um, the, the fish spews him out. And then he goes and does the thing that God asked him to do. And you'll have thought at this point that Jonah is actually chilled. Jonah has made peace with the fact that he can't run away from God. But like we saw last week, Jonah was angry. Jonah was angry because chapter 3 ends when Jonah had finished preaching, delivering the message that God had asked him to deliver. Chapter 3 ends in verse 10 with the words, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so these people repent. They actually turn away from their sins, but Jonah is not pleased about it. He's not happy. And Jonah, like we saw last week in verse 1, is very angry. And he's so angry, we are told in verse 3, that he wants to die. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of anger before. Sadness, yes. Like, I'm so sad I want to die. But this guy is angry. He wants to die. But like the many you know, things that, words we say sometimes. Jonah actually, he doesn't kill himself. What does he do? In verse 5, we are told, he goes outside the city, he sits down at a place east of the city, and he says, there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And so at this point, Jonah is probably feeling like, man, I've given God a piece of my mind. God has to shape up. God has to do what I want him to do. And so Jonah goes, sits outside the city, and he's waiting for his destruction. 
And we see Jonah doing two things in this one action. Jonah is distancing himself from the city, but he's also waiting for the destruction of the city. It's the gap of distance and the mindset of destruction. And why is Jonah doing this? Why is Jonah doing this? Why is Jonah leaving the city, but not really leaving? He's still waiting for what will happen. It's because like we've seen in chapter 1 and we also saw last week in chapter 4, Jonah feels Nineveh should be judged. Nineveh should be destroyed. Nineveh should be condemned for all the things they have done. And he's hoping that somehow all these things that I'm saying will talk some sense into the head and mind of God. And friends, this is just so insightful because like Jonah, if we're honest, many of us have a love-hate relationship with the city we're in. We like some things about it, but we don't love many things about it. Someone said about Lagos, that Lagos is a country in Africa. Lagos is the capital of Nigeria. And many of us, we just, we just feel like, yes, Lagos brings all these many opportunities, but man, I don't really like this place. I don't really want to be engaged with this place. And why do we feel that way? Why do we feel that way? It reminds me of just some of the things I had heard growing up about Lagos. And I was going to law school. I knew I was going to meet a lot of people. And I promised myself I was not going to get involved with any woman, <laughs> born of a woman from the city of Lagos. And so I, the first day I saw the woman who is now my wife, I said, ha. Ah, these are people they warned me about. All these Lagos babes. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And why? Why do you feel that way? It's because on the one hand, Lagos is a city where our dreams can be fulfilled. But it's also a place where your dreams can be killed. And so a Nigerian writer, his name is Igoni Barrett, in a, in a novel whose, whose title I cannot pronounce from here. <laughs> He says, Lagos was built from blood and sweat and raw ambition. Abuja was designed as a playground for the rich. Lagos was built from blood and sweat and raw ambition. And so people come to Lagos hoping for a better life, hoping that, oh, all these dreams I have, all these ambitions, all these things I want to actually fulfill, um, um, I'm hoping for, can get fulfilled. And so we hear the success stories of Lagos. A few years ago when um, Lagos was 50, there were all these placards on the road where we're seeing the success story, my Lagos story. And one of those Lagos stories is, a, is of a guy called Chinedu Okorafor, who moved from his village in eastern Nigeria to Lagos in 2016. This is a press, um, this is a news release, I'll just read it. As soon as he could afford the night bus, he took it straight to the city of excellence. When he got to Lagos, he had 1,000 naira, a baco sack housing two jean trousers and two shirts, all his belonging. But now it's January 2020, four years in Lagos, and Chinedu makes, wait for it, a minimum of 1 million naira monthly solely from hawking. Some of you feel like, yeah, I should quit my job right now and start hawking. But what did, what did the guy do? Sorry? What? What does he do? He hawks. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe it's what he's hawking, Abby. But the guy sells gala. And so he came to Lagos. Yeah, gala. He came to Lagos and he starts by selling um, 
I can't remember how, how he started, but at some point he scales it up. He's selling 300 units of gala in Maltu traffic in Oshodi. And then he realizes, no, 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 no. This Maltu traffic, yeah, making a lot of money, but this is not the place where traffic is. So he moves to another part of Oshodi. And then he begins selling 11 packs of gala in that traffic. And then he goes back to his village. And then the guys, of, of course, at this time, the guy hasn't made any killing. He hasn't made a lot of money. But people are seeing the progress he's making in his life. And then the guy says, man, I want to be like you. So he brings 12 guys from his village. And those 12 guys begin selling for him the same gala that he's selling. He's paying for the accommodation, and they give him a commission. And then the guy begins to make all this money that he's making. This is Lagos. Some of you need that revelation, Ali. <laughs> this is Lagos. That's his story. It's a city of ambition where you can dream and hope and actually have it fulfilled. But it's also a place where your dreams come to die. It's a place where you can be locked up for looking a certain way. It's a place where if you answer the police officer wrongly, you can actually be shot or killed. It's a place like we've seen during the NSAS protests where a lot of people have been harmed by those who are meant to be caring for them. And so another writer, her name is Nenadi Okurafo in a novel, says, Adora, talking about one of the characters, Adora was beginning to see why Ayodele's people had chosen the city of Lagos. If they landed in New York, Tokyo, or London, the governments of these places would have quickly swooped to hide, isolate, and study the aliens. It's a book about alien invasion in Lagos. But here in Lagos, there is no such order. And so that cloud of disorder actually sometimes covers the dreams and ambitions that we have. And the place where we're meant to see the booming of our dreams and ambitions becomes a place where ambitions and dreams go to die. So what do we do for many of us? We do exactly like Jonah. We engage by waiting for destruction. What did Jonah do? Jonah kept the gap of distance, and he had the mindset of destruction. And so let's quickly look at those two things, the gap of distance and the mindset of destruction. Now, you have to love this story because it's funny in many ways. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. Jonah doesn't want to do what God asks him to do. He thinks he can run away from God. And then eventually, he ends up doing what God doesn't want him to do, exactly the way God wants him to do it. And verse 5 is a little bit like that. In verse 5, we see that Jonah leaves the city, but he goes outside the city and sets himself up there. He sets up a shelter and sits in the shade. And while he's waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed, while he's waiting for Nineveh to, be, to, to come down and receive the judgment of God, Jonah is there enjoying his life. And what Jonah is doing is, I don't want to be close to this place. I don't want to be touched by all the bad things in this place. But I also want to know what's going on in this place. And friends, don't we also do that as well? Now, the thing is, in a city of this size, so small, with so many people, we can't do like Jonah. We can't actually leave the city and keep our distance. So what do we do? We create a gap between the things that we do not like, and we keep ourselves away from it. And so we drive in traffic, and we see destitutes and beggars at the major 
um, junctions here in Lekki, and what do we do? We keep our, our um, cars wound up, and we carry on as if they are not there, and we ignore them. There's an area of town that's primed for development, and we know, government knows that, oh, rich people will not actually move into this area if we don't actually drive away all these poor people who are living here. They are devaluing this property. So what do they do? They send in tractors. They raise the place. And then we see it and we say, oh, this is a lovely place by the ocean. Let me go and buy that property and live there. We see all this crime and insecurity in our city, and we say, ah, no, I don't really like it. Let's build these really nice and posh estates so that we can live and be far away from all the things that are going on in our city. And then maybe once in a while, we can actually cross Third Mainland Bridge and go and see the people who are living on the mainland. Or just like it happened for many of us during COVID, there were poor people around us. We had never given a thought about them. But then we'd realize, man, there's lockdown. These people are going to be hungry. They're going to come knocking at our gates. And we don't want that. So what do we do? We organize our estate committees and give them a little bit of money so that they can please stay away from us. It's the gap of distance. We don't want to be engaged with what's going on in the city. We want to create a gap between so that it doesn't touch us, so that it doesn't affect us, so that it doesn't crumble us. And friends, I'm not saying that we're always doing these things intentionally. I'm not saying that we always have malicious intents in our hearts. But what's happening is that we are creating this gap. And sometimes we're even benefiting from it as well. It's like the supply chain of cow milk. And in the supply chain of cow milk, there are many people who are involved. But there are two people who are crucial to the process, the milkmaids and the milk buyers. The milkmaids are the people who their life is all about the cow. They are constantly taking care of it. They believe that there's something in this cow that can serve other people. So they go there, they care for it, they juice the, the, the cow so that it can give milk to others. But then there are the milk buyers, the people who, they're not really concerned about the cow. They don't care. They just want their milk. They don't, they don't want to know whether Susha has treated the cow, whether the cow is immunized or not, whether the conditions the cow is living in is great or not. They just want their milk and they go for it. And many times, friends, while like that, those milk buyers with the city, what is there for me? How can I maximize all these things that the city is there to give me? How can I enjoy it without actually being in the city and getting and contributing to the city. But the second thing we see Jonah doing, apart from just this gap of distance that he's keeping, is also a mindset of destruction that Jonah is engaged in. And so in verse 5, we are told Jonah wants destruction to come to the city. But verses 6 to 10 tell us why Jonah is thinking this way. In verse 6, it says, rather than God just judging Jonah and giving Jonah what he deserves, God actually provides shade for Jonah. God provides a plant that actually keeps Jonah cool from the heat. And it's sort of like now Jonah is living in a BQ with air condition and everything is going well for Jonah. But then God takes away that thing and all of a sudden Jonah is feeling like, oh, I want to die. I just, I just, I just want to die. And in verse 9, God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? And he says, it is. It is. You'll have thought that, oh, his home training will have kicked in at this point. God has asked me a question in, in, in verse 1, and I answered the wrong way. And God is asking me again, but his home training doesn't kick in. 
Jonah says, yes, it is. It is right for me to be angry, and I want to die. And if I were God at this point, I'll have just decked Jonah and just given him a slap so that his sense will reboot. But God doesn't actually treat Jonah that way. In fact, commentators tell us that what Jonah is doing effectively in these verses by answering back to God is the equivalent of giving God a middle finger. Jonah is saying, yes, God, like, I don't want to know what you think. All I just want to know is that what I want must happen. Bring this destruction to this city. And why is Jonah thinking this way? Why is Jonah mad? It is because Jonah believes that there's something in him that deserves the grace of God and there's something in Nineveh that does not merit the grace of God. He believes he deserves the mercy and grace of God and Nineveh deserves the judgment of God. And friends, oftentimes when we think like this, we show that we do not actually understand what the mercy and grace of God is. Because mercy, by definition, is not something that can be compelled. Mercy, by definition, is not something that can be earned. And every time we engage in these attributes, anytime we think in this way, no, like things must go well for me, and I don't care about the city, I don't care about the people who are living in it, we are showing that we actually are engaging in a mindset of destruction. Lagos can go to blazes for all we care. Our cities can burn as long as things are going well for us. Or sometimes even in the little things that we do, and so someone is driving in the car on the road or engaged in public transport and they throw fuel, trash on the road, it's already dirty, so the city can be destroyed for all we care. Everything should just go well for us. Or when we saw the videos of the lootings and the shootings, did we just think, Oh, these guys are criminals. Why did they take all of these people's property? Why did they burn it down? Or did we also think, these guys are criminals. They should be brought to justice. But the conditions that also made them think this way should also be addressed. It's the mindset of destruction. And so what we see is that part of the reasons, friends, God gives us our cities, God gives us these many people is because he actually wants us to see ourselves as we really are. He wants us to see the greed in the looters who are looting the shops, but also to see the greed that motivates us sometimes that actually makes us be like milk buyers who just want to milk the city and juice it for all that is there for us. He wants us to see the ineptitude of law enforcement and the corruption, and he also wants us to see as well how we are unable to actually save and rescue ourselves from the things that are wrong with us. He wants us to see the poverty and brokenness all around us. And he also wants us to see how insufficient our materialism is in actually addressing the things that are wrong with us. And so every time we're thinking, oh, things should just go well for me, I don't care about the city. We're engaging in a mindset of destruction that says, I don't really know what the grace of God is about. I don't really care what the grace of God is about as long as everything works fine for me. And so Jonah is engaged in these two things as he's waiting for destruction because he doesn't want to be touched by the city, but he also wants to get from the city. He doesn't want to be affected by the things that are going on around him. He wants to see the city burn to the ground because he believes there's something in him that deserves and merits the grace of God. 
But we see something else in these verses, and I go to my second point. We see that we ought to be concerned about destruction. Concerned about destruction. And so all through this book, we've seen God and Jonah on opposite ends. Jonah actually leaves the city. He's, he's, he deserts it. But God is actually concerned about the city. He sends Jonah in there. Jonah doesn't want to deliver the message that God sends him. But we see that God is actually eager for these people to come to him and to be saved. And we see these two opposite ends that God and Jonah are on in verses 10 and 11. In these verses, God says, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also so many animals. And friends, here we see the heart of God. God is saying to Jonah, you are concerned about a plant that you did not create. You are concerned about something that you had no business actually seeing its fruition. You didn't contribute anything to it. Should I not be concerned about the people of Nineveh? Should I not be concerned about people created in the image of God? People I have designed for a purpose. People I have, be, I have given a plan. Should I not be concerned about people I have set on earth in this time who would actually live in eternal separation and judgment from me? And friends, maybe you have wondered, why do cities matter? There are actually many good reasons why cities matter. For one, like we've been talking about, cities matter because of all the financial wherewithal that cities give. You can come and you can make business and you can trade and make profit and you can actually do better in life. Or you can actually have friends. You can meet a lot of people from different parts of the world and different parts of the nation, like here in Lagos, who are not like you, who don't think like you. But the Bible actually shows us one reason, the reason why cities matter is because it is full of image bearers, people who are made in the image of God. And friends, we ought to care. And God is saying to Jonah, I care about Nineveh because these people I have designed to reflect me. I care about Nineveh because these people are broken and sinful and they are messed up and they are separated from me. I care about Nineveh because these people do not know their right hand from their left hand. But God doesn't just stop at caring. God doesn't just stop at wishing that, oh, something could happen. God actually sends a prophet to them. God sends Jonah to the people. God sends Jonah to the people to repent. And can I just challenge you this morning? What might change about you if you became concerned about the city of Lagos and became concerned about the places God has placed you just the same way God is concerned? Too often people say things like, oh, Lagos is stressful. Lagos is a madhouse. Oh, Lagos is a crazy place. And it's true, sometimes Lagos is really stressful. Lagos can be a madhouse sometimes. Lagos can be frustrating sometimes. But what could change about you if, like Jonah, if, like God was saying, rather, in verse, in verse 11, you realize that these many people are made in the image of God, 21 million people here in Lagos, and many of these people do not know their right hand from their left hand. And I'm not just talking, friends, about preaching to people. Preaching is important, and many of us should be doing that. 
There's a sister here um, in church who constantly always, I admire her, she puts on her WhatsApp status evangelistic messages asking people to come to Christ. And many of us should be doing those kinds of things. For us here at City Church Lagos, we say we are about the renewal of the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally, and we want to do that through church planting. And so bringing people to the saving knowledge of Christ is important. But also, what might change about you if you are concerned about the destruction of the city of Lagos in the way you work? What might change if you stop thinking just about how much money you can earn and the places you are working in and how you can simply move to the next job? And you can actually think about how to bring God's rule, save the city as it were, and be concerned about her destruction. But you see, there's also something we see a bit funny in verse 11. In verse 11, God says, oh, there are 120,000 people here in the city of Nineveh. But he says, also, there are many animals. And in fact, in, in chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, while, Jonah, um, while the city of Nineveh is repenting, one of the things the king says is that animals, herds, and flocks should also fast. He says they should be covered with sackcloth. And so does this mean that animals can repent of sin? Does this mean that animals can become Christians? No, I don't think that's what the passage is teaching, okay? But I think what the passage is showing us is that our concern about destruction is reflected in how we treat the things of the world. In how we treat the things that actually have no power to, to retaliate to us. I remember um, many years ago when I, was, when I was young. Yeah, I'm still young. Um, but when I, was, when I was a lot younger, um, I think I was about five or six at the time. And I just walked out of the house where we were living in. And I saw this hen and her chicks, many chicks, and they were just, I just felt like, what are they doing here? And then the devil entered me. And so I picked a stone and threw it at them. And one of the chicks died. And when my mom saw it, man, let's just say I have never done that since that time. She was saying, why, why are you so wicked? Why have you, she, like she beat the living daylight out of me. But she was saying, why are you so wicked? Why have you gone to hurt and harm God's creation in this way? And friends, we see many times, I was driving to church this morning, and I just saw two horses that were just, you know, by the roadside, just left standing there. And part of the things this verse is showing us, friends, is that our concern about our world, our concern about our city, is reflected in how we treat the things that God has put in the city for us. We're concerned about the renewal of our city. And so how can we become concerned people? How can we become these kind of people who are actually demonstrating God's redemptive care for our world? How can we become these kind of people who are seeking to bring back our world from the destruction that the city is in? I think there are three things that we can do here. I'll call them MLB, MLB, Major, Major League Baseball, all right? If you remember that, you remember. First is meditate on God's outrageous grace. Meditate on God's outrageous grace. What we see is that Nineveh did not deserve the grace of God. And in fact, Jonah did not deserve the grace of God. 
Nineveh had to be rescued from his own destruction, and Jonah also had to be rescued from his own destruction as well. In fact, in verse 6, where the, where the passage talks about God providing a plan for Jonah to rescue him from his discomfort, the word discomfort there is the same word as the word destruction in verse 10 of chapter 3 that Nineveh is rescued from. And so what we see is that the same grace of God that needs to rescue Nineveh is the same grace of God that needs to rescue Jonah as well. And friends, many times the reason why there's that discrepancy between what we profess with our mouths and how we actually engage with our city is because we are not meditating on the outrageous grace of God. We feel that there is something in me, something in me that deserves and merits this grace of God. There is something in me that God must treat me this way. And what we find, friends, is that we need the grace of God. The same grace that needs to rescue people who are standing on Allen Avenue in Ikeja is the same grace of God that needs to rescue you in your own little two good issues here in Lekki. But the second thing, friends, is that we need to leverage our platform. Leverage your platform. And so Jonah was God's prophet. Jonah was God's prophet who speaks God's word to the people of Nineveh. The king was the one the message came to. But the king then commands his city to do certain things. And some of us, none of us here is the governor of Lagos State. None of us has that amount of power. So we can't command the city. But God has placed us in places, friends, where we can actually leverage the platform that God has given to us. And so are you on your estate committee? Can you actually think about, suggest to the people who are there, can we do something as an estate that is not just once in a while at Christmas so that people can think about us well? But can we actually partner with the community around us and maybe train someone to school? And maybe think about empowering someone for business. And maybe think about long-term skill acquisition and development so that we can actually bring this renewal to our city as well. Or some of you, oh, no, I'm not in that sphere. I don't have, I don't have those kinds of influence. But maybe you are in your office. Can you suggest to your company, to your boss, can we do a sustained CSR project that is not just for the newspapers, but something that actually equips people so that they can actually get a better life? and be moved on from this pit that they're in. Friends, God has given all of us, all of us, no matter how small, God has given all of us a platform that we can leverage as we are concerned about the destruction, the impending destruction of our cities. But the last thing also is to be conscious of our silos. Be conscious of our silos. And I say that because the way the city is structured and designed, the way life is generally, we only gravitate towards people who look like us, people who think like us, people who talk like us, people who went to kind of the same schools like us, people are in the same social circles like us. And what happens is that all of us create this bubble where we are constantly feeding off of each other and thinking about each other, which is a good thing, but it's a bad thing because we are not spreading the knowledge and the things that God has given us to other people as well. So that's why places like your GCs are important. Where you can actually know other people who don't think like you. People who are not from the same demographic as you. People who don't have the same social background or class as you. So that you can actually hear what is going on in other people's lives. And you can enable them, strengthen them, encourage them as well. 
And so as we meditate on the grace of God that is our treasures, as we leverage the platforms God has given us, as we are concerned and conscious of our silos, we can become people who are concerned about the destruction of our city. But the last thing I think here is ultimately there needs to be a prevention from destruction. And I go to the third point, preventing destruction. So if you've been familiar with the story as we've gone along, you've heard it said a number of times that the city of Nineveh actually, ultimately, doesn't stop God's judgment from coming on them. In fact, what we see is that several years after they relapse and there's a new rule and they become the world power at the time. And they actually, what Jonah was probably fearing, they were the ones who go back and capture the people of the northern kingdom of Israel and lead them into captivity and take them into exile. And so the prophet Nahum, God sends to the people of Judah, several hundred years later after Jonah, Nahum prophesies in Nahum chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, which I'm sure all of us read a few days ago. Um, in Nahum 3, 1 to 5, he says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, and jolting chariots. This is all describing Nineveh, their military might and their power that they've exercised in other nations. Charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. All because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. And what does God say in verse 5? I am against you. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your wickedness and the kingdoms your shame. And in verse 7 of Nahum chapter 3, ultimately, God says, Nineveh. People will say, Nineveh, where is it? It will be no more. And God brings this message of comfort to his people, that these people who have oppressed you, I'm going to bring my judgment against them. They are going to be destroyed. And you'll have thought, oh, these people would rejoice. And these people would also be concerned and say, no, we should keep following this God. We should keep observing his counsel. We should keep listening to him. But they actually don't do that. The nation of Israel, uh, of, of Israel which is the, the southern kingdom of Judah, actually, turns away from God as well, and they become destroyed. And the city of Jerusalem, this great city, just like Nineveh, that God had promised that his presence would dwell there, that would be a light for all the nations. This same place becomes a place where the light of God is turned off. And so what is the problem? The problem is that we need, we had a prophet who goes and tells the people about the destruction that is coming. But rather than being concerned about it, he goes out of the city and is waiting for destruction. And we have the people who receive the message of God, and rather than being concerned about the destruction that is coming to them, they actually turn away from God, and they do not listen to God. And it seems like, oh, if we had both a prophet who is concerned about our destruction, who does not only wait for destruction, but comes to bring the salvation of God, and we have a people who are actually obedient to the words of God, maybe we can be saved from destruction. And the Bible actually shows us that this is what we need. This is what happens because in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 to 14, the writer of Hebrews says, 
Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. Now let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. Friends, in Jesus Christ, we have not just a prophet of God who is concerned about our destruction, who not only brings the word of God to us, but actually saves us from destruction. Unlike Jonah, who goes outside the city to await the destruction of the city and not wanting to have anything to do with the city, Jesus Christ actually comes into the city, delivers the message of God, but goes outside the city to save the people in the city by dying for them. And friends, he gives us his own life to rescue us from our destruction. But even better, friends, he does not just give us his life. He does not just give us a new life. He gives us a new city as well. The promise of the gospel is that the ultimate renewal we're all looking for by working in Lagos, by trying to see how we can progress, by trying to see how things can be well with us and our families and our loved ones, that ultimate renewal comes in a city where God dwells. And so in the book of Revelation, it says that this, the kingdoms of our world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Friends, our hope ultimately is not just that Lagos will be saved from destruction. It's not just that all the injustice that we are concerned about will be taken away. Our hope ultimately is that God will renew our world. God will bring his renewal to the city of Lagos. And friends, that ought to energize us as we go through traffic, as we are concerned about the things that we see. As, as, as the dollar prices rise up, I am wondering, man, as a young guy, can I even dream anything in this life? Can I even get married? Can I hope? As a young lady who is progressing through the career ranks, I am wondering, man, is there even any hope for me? Do I have to leave? Do I need to go to Canada or something to make something of my life? We see that our hope ultimately is that God will renew the city. God will bring his justice to bear here. And we can go through life. We can go through life compassionately engaging our city, not disregarding its flaws, not looking the other way if we need to protest and do something and bring people to justice, but we can actually work trusting God that the very renewal that we are concerned about, He will bring to pass. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.